welcome to the Huguenot Podcast, episode 27. Today, we are going to be talking about Freifaxi and some things surrounding that. And today, oh, I forgot all my introduction stuff. Um, I do have Lore with me today, but but uh, how are you doing, Lore? I'm doing just fine, sir. Thank you. I should write a script for this, but I haven't. Um, if anybody wants to contact me, though, I do want to say that you can do that by emailing HugenhoffPodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to the website, which is uh, HugenHoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. And under the podcast tabs, you can download the individual podcasts or sign up for the RSS. I suggest the RSS because then you get them um, as they come out, which is a good idea. <laughs> Excuse me. I'd also like to mention once again that we are hosted on the NRR, the Northern Runes Radio, and you can find them. Just Google Northern Runes Radio uh, or go to northernrunesradio.com, I believe, or go to their Facebook page or whatever else. And they are still doing their Rune series, which I want to strongly recommend again because I think it's one of the better series that they've done because the runes are very important to us. So, with all of that said and out of the way, let's get into Freyfaxi. Um, we do a Freyfaxi bloat. Uh, we've been doing it for a long time, actually, since I've been in the um, Hofbrau Kindred. Back before they retired, we did a Freyfaxi bloat there, and it kind of got carried over to our own Kindred, and we continue to do it. So there's a few interesting things about this bloat, and we're going to see what we have time to get to and what we don't. All right, so to start out, Lore, can you give us just a summing up of the Freyfaxi story? I could. Um, let me just do a very, very, very brief one. Uh, there was a guy named Hrafnekel. He had some horses. Uh, he had some land. He had some sheep. He had a big farm. He uh, needed a help, some help, so he had... So he hired a, uh, a neighbor child, Einar, is that yeah. right? And uh, so he brought him over. But before he did that, he also sacrificed half a horse to the god Frey. He said, any man, or no man shall ride this horse save me and Frey. And any man who does, he would kill. So he hires this new kid. Kids watch the land. It's going great. One day all the sheep go missing, though. So Einar goes out, and he's trying to grab another horse. No horses will come to him, but he sees Freyfaxi. Freyfaxi doesn't run away, and he's thinking, well, I need to get all these sheep back, otherwise they'll be lost forever because it's just big land. They could have fallen off cliffs and stuff. I need to go get this done. So he's like, well, okay. So he grabs Freyfaxi, goes out and rides on Freyfaxi, is able to gather all the sheep up, brings the sheep home, and is about to, you know, unbridle and, and, and clean down Freyfaxi, but instead Freyfaxi runs away, goes back to Raphnickel. Raphnickel sees the horse is sweaty, mudded, needs cleaning. Someone's obviously ridden this horse. He goes out with his sword, and or was it a sword or an axe? axe. It was an axe. axe. And he confronts Einar, and he says, hey, were you riding my horse? Einar says, yes, I can't lie. I did. I need to get all of your sheep back. And the guy goes, well, 
Unfortunately, you know about my oath, because he told him earlier, I have to kill you. And so he does. And that's kind of where it leaves off for the Freyfaxi story. Now, there yeah. are things that happen afterwards, though, but I'm not sure if you want to get into that. Um, You can give the quick summation of what happens afterwards, too. Might as well. Uh, Well, the father of Einar is upset. He eventually is able to sue for some justice, because uh, Hrafnickel does not pay Weirgold, and that's all he was after originally. But unfortunately, Hrafnickel doesn't pay it, and doesn't pay it to anybody. That's just kind of his thing. So some, uh, the father is able to gather another chieftain to his side, and they sue him, and the father is then able to gather the lands of Hrafnickel, and Hrafnickel is then his servant for about six years. After six years, Einar or Hrafnickel uh, is able to gather some forces and take over the land again, and proceeds to enslave the father. And basically, the father tries again to do anything about it, but no one will side with him because they see Hrafnickel's very powerful. And then nothing happens. Hrafnickel keeps him under his his wing as as a servant. And then eventually dies of old age. If I'm skipping over anything, I'm sorry. I was just trying to do a very brief rundown. <clears throat> no, I think that's the main part of it. Now, at Bloat, we normally don't focus on the second part. We normally tell the story up to the part where um, Raphnickel kills Einar. Uh, so we're going to focus that on focus on that part of it at first and go into some of the things there. And then maybe we're going to touch on the second part of the story which probably doesn't get uh, discussed quite as much, and I will admit that I don't spend as much time on it as I probably should. So uh, to, if we have time, we're really going to get into that and uh, maybe bring some stuff up. But let's get to the main stuff that I feel like we need to cover first. Okay. Okay. Um, did that. Importance of O's. I think this is an obvious big one in the story and i believe that we've talked about the importance of oaths in also true before that if you take an oath if you make an oath you have to uh keep it at all costs this is a good example of one and this is where this story gets uh very tricky as you know did, did you do the right thing or not because if we jump in after uh, Hrafnickel has sworn the oath and we say okay you're in this situation where you've sworn an oath that if somebody rides your horse you're going to kill them and then somebody rides your horse now the thing is Hrafnickel actually liked Einar Einar was a good worker and uh, he liked him so he didn't want to kill him he wasn't like I love killing people and I hate this guy <laughs> but he felt like he was honor bound to kill him so he did uh, which, you know, is a big thing. You're like, okay, if, if I take an oath that requires me to kill somebody, then I kind of have to follow through with it because the main big huge thing you can't do is break oaths. So we're like, okay, so I guess Rafnickel kind of did the right... I guess Rafnickel did the right thing. But then I think something that we like to do at Hugenhoff is think back further... Why did Einar make this, or why did Hrafnickel make this oath in the first place? Why would he, 
swear that only him and Frey could ride this particular horse. It seems like one that would obviously lead to unpleasant situations like this. And why I mean, didn't we, it... I Go mean, ahead. we talk about the, the, the two kings who decided they would try to take over uh, Sweden or something. Yeah. can't remember exactly what it was. But, you know, that was a foolish oath while drunk because then they were, you know, forced to do this thing even if they owe something stupid. Right. And this was in the Heimskringla. And, yeah, like Lore said, these two kings were kind of drunk, and they're like, we're going to take over Sweden, and Swirl's on it. And then they swore the O's on it, so they tried to take over Sweden, and they got killed. And it's like... <clears throat> the point I'm getting at here is is not stopping people from taking O's. I don't want to say you should take less O's. That's that's not the point. But what I am saying is you should be really careful about the O's that you take. You need to remember that O's are really important, and you can't break them. Once you have sworn an oath, you can't just turn around and be like, oh, well, I unswear it. You can't do that. You have to follow through with it. So if you're taking an oath, you have to be really careful that it is actually a good oath to take in the first place uh really i think the smartest thing you can do and maybe it's not completely true but i, I i've been thinking about this um if you're gonna make an oath you can really only take an oath that involves only you if you involve anybody else you don't know what they're gonna do it could completely yeah. mess it up you'll be forced to kill somebody or or you're, if you're gonna rely on somebody they could fail you and therefore your oath is is broken because of them mm -hmm. so like if you're gonna you can't swear an oath to take over Sweden unless everyone's already said they're going to be with you. You can't swear right. an oath that no one's going to ride a horse because you're not everyone. You cannot right. swear for other people. Yeah, and I mean, there's certain situations where I think it's kind of cool to do. I don't, I don't know if it's the right thing or not, but in a marriage oath or something, it's kind of neat. You're like, okay, I'm going to rely on this other person. And you're sending the message that you really are putting your fate in their hands, well, which has sort of a romantic tinge. It does, but supposedly they're taking the oath with you. If they break the oath, they have broken that oath that you two have sworn. Right. Not yeah. you. Well, it, yeah, it, it depends on exactly how it works out, but you can imagine a situation where you just stop. Uh, you get married and then you stop loving the person. You're like, okay, well, I don't want to be married anymore. And you're sort of oath-bound to be. So it's it's taking a risk. And some people swear marriage oaths like we'll be together as long as love lasts. Okay, so you're safe. And it's not got the same romantic flair to it, but but it it works. It depends it's on how much faith you're going to... It's very logical. But is love logical? You know... <laughs> I yes. I think that's there's a logic to love. It's about procreation, but that's another story. Oh well, yeah. I think humans have taken okay, yeah. This feeling of love is for the purpose of recreation or procreation ultimately. But I think humans have taken it like we do with a lot of things and added a lot to it. Absolutely. We've added a lot of emotional and, and intellectual things to it, and it's well, grown into something huge. That may just be in the English language and perhaps in some others, but I wouldn't know, as I only have the one language and a few other words. That's true. <laughs> in others. 
that's true. Different different language absolutely shapes what we do. So different languages could certainly be be different, but you do have a lot of these stories of a very romantic type of love come about. It's a little tangential, so I, I'm not going to get into that too much. What I really want to focus on is these oaths are so important. You have to be careful. And Lord, that's a great point. Don't swear to things you can't do. Don't swear to things that are outside your control. One of the advantages to O's is they really motivate you to get something done. You know, you swear you're going to get something done and you get something done. But make sure it's something in your control. If you're, I'll kind of use a really obvious example, but, well, obvious to lore. But if, if you swear you're going to write a book, don't, and get it published. You swear you're mm -hmm. going to publish a book. Don't swear that you're going to have Penguin publish your book or Bright House right. publish your book because there is no way there's no way you can make sure that happens. Then you are putting your honor in the hands of Penguin or Bright House, and that's just stupid. But you can swear that you'll publish it somehow, you know, in some sort of self-publishing because that is in your hands. And if you want to buy a house, you can swear that, I don't know, I suppose you could swear that you're going to buy a house because as long as you're wise enough to have money put aside and everything, you can almost certainly get that done. But you can't swear you're going to buy that house because the owner could refuse to sell. They could be like, no, I'm not selling this house. I'm sorry. And then what are you going to do? So you really have to be careful about the O's that you take. They're really a big deal. And I think the big purpose of O's is to let yourself grow as a person, to add structure and motivation to grow as a person. So you shouldn't be swearing O's that require other people to grow as people or require other people to do something for you. Because an oath is not to make someone else grow as a person. It's to make you grow as a person. And to bring it back to oaths for Freyfaxi, we got to think about Anar for a minute. Yeah. Did he have an oath to keep? Was he being honorable by doing his job? Because if he was not able to complete this task, you know, Harafnagal would be out of all these sheep. And who knows where all the horses went either. I mean, yeah. all you had was Freyfax to do your job. Mm. Now, even if you didn't swear an oath to it, there's still this honor-bound kind of feeling that you have for a job. And if you let something like that happen, he probably would have been punished anyway. Maybe not death, but, but it he would have been, been something. punished. Right. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's good. Um, yeah, I don't think you he had an oath to do his job, but he did have an obligation to do his job. And was Einar right in making that decision to ride Freyfaxi to get the horse? And that's why I think this story is so um, morally complicated, because I think Einar made a mistake. When he got there, Hrafnik was like, hey, I swore an oath, no one would ride my horse, so don't do it or I'll kill you. Mm -hmm. He did warn him, and right. Einar should have been like, oh, the sheep are gone, this sucks for me, I'm probably going to get in trouble. But I know I can't ride that horse. I know that's not allowed. And he should have not ran. done that. Well, he should have ran to Hrafnickel and said, hey, you need to get on your horse. It's the only one out here. Yeah, yeah, that's what he should have done. And I mean, Hrafnickel, near the end of the story, after all this 
bad stuff happens in those six years, turns away from Frey, and you know he ends up being fine in the end, getting his lands back. But why did he turn away from the gods in the first place? Is it because he saw some sort of ultimately unjust world where somebody tries to do the right thing, but they end up by necessity being killed? Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's kind of depressing. You would think the world must be a cruel and chaotic place because we both swore oaths or, or I swore an oath. He was a good worker and look how well that turned out for us. I mean, the whole concept of should you swear oaths at all could be brought into question by this, you know, and, and this is something I want to explore a little bit. Why is swearing oaths important? Why don't we just say oaths are stupid? I don't like oaths. Now, I'm going to swear them and break them all the time because why not? I mean, or I'm not going to swear them at all because they're stupid. Why don't we turn away from O's? And I mean, I think that what a lot of people would say is, well, the gods say O's are important and the gods say you can't break O's. But that doesn't answer the question because if you let that answer the question, you're just eventually probably going to lose faith in the gods because it seems they're arbitrary and fickle. Well, I mean, not only would you lose faith in the gods, you would lose faith in humanity. Because part yeah. of being human and working with humans and having a civilization is, you know, trusting other people's words. And an oath is just an enhanced word. You're like, I'm going to be there tomorrow. Well, I did an oath to it, but if you can't believe me, we would have a hard time being friends. Yeah. But if you say an oath, then that's just reinforcing that idea that you can trust your fellow person to you can trust your fellow person's word yeah and i think that is a huge huge part of o's and it, i like um socrates talked about it in some discussion or the other where he was arguing with someone he's like okay why is this moral and the guy's like cause the god say and socrates response is something that i believe he was like okay is it moral because the gods say it is moral or do the gods say it is moral because it's moral? And mm -hmm. I agree with the latter. The gods tell us O's are important and we can't and can't be broken because there's some moral truth behind it. They don't make morality. The gods don't decide what's moral and immoral. They'll just give us some hints like, hey, this is moral and this is immoral. And I think, like you're saying, a huge part about it, or a huge part of it, if you really examine it and look at it is it's absolutely necessary to have a basic trust in other people or you could not survive in this society excuse and me I mean, or any society and i mean above that we've discussed this before it's about autonomy mm -hmm. and if you can't believe another person's word or if someone's word is unbelievable and you trust them they've broken your autonomy because you are unable to have a cohesive understanding of what the world is because they've lied to you. You no longer can make an intelligent decision based upon the information they're giving you. Yeah. And, and that breaks the autonomy. At least we've discussed it before. I'm not sure if it was on this show, but we have talked about it personally at least. I think we've discussed it on this show. But I, I think what you said there wraps it up pretty well. You know, you have to be able to trust what somebody says because when somebody's talking to you they are creating they are explaining 
how the world works to them. When they say, I swear an oath to do this, they are saying, the world is this way. And when they break that oath, yeah, they've broken the trust they have in you, but they have broken the way they said the world was. They've created a mental world, and now it's at odds with, you know, the actual objective world, if such a thing exists. <laughs> and they're destroying reality. When you break an oath, you are actually destroying reality in a weird way, but I think you are, because we create through language and words and the things we say this reality that surrounds us. Certain things have certain meanings and and certain uses. Chairs are for sitting on, desks are for writing on. And as soon as you start saying the world is this way, and with an oath you're saying the world is definitely this way, and then breaking that oath so the world is not that way, you're creating the linguistic world that exists on top of the real world. But the thing is, the real world is just an inherently chaotic place that you can't really come into direct contact with. You can't feel a desk and understand its purpose. You can't even understand it. You know, it's a swirl of atoms and electrons. That's all a desk or a chair is. It is only because we have imposed meaning upon it that meaning exists. So if you impose meaning on something and then you take that meaning away by breaking your oath, you're collapsing the way that we interact with the world and you're actually destroying reality because reality is the linguistic parts. It is the word. It is the mental sets that are around us. And this thing that it's put on top of, if that thing exists at all, is just an inherently chaotic system which we're desperately trying to make sense of. So, yeah, the gods don't say, oh, don't break O's because they like to make arbitrary rules. The gods say don't break O's because breaking O's is, inher is inherently the same thing as breaking reality, causing yourself ultimately to cease to exist. So O's are important, really important. And I don't know if Ravnickel learned that in the saga. I'd argue he didn't. He lost faith in O's. He lost faith in the gods. He lost faith in the everything. And, you know, it worked out for him. It's, it's a saga. It's uh, something that arguably really happened. You know, sagas are... In my opinion, sagas are very much like histories. We're writing these for a reason. We're writing these to remember people, usually your ancestors. And um, Ravnickel lived to a ripe old age. Uh, Laura and I had a mini discussion about this before, and I, I think he does bring up a good point. In today's society, we'd say that's a good thing. Back here, straw death was not considered honorable. Nonetheless he did live to a ripe old age. He lived to be old, and I guess we can't say the universe punished him, because it didn't, you know. Which... I mean, um, unless there's an afterlife, in which case, maybe, because Straw Death yeah. was looked down upon in that time frame. Yeah. Currently, we don't see it that way, but if that's the case, I mean, most of us, hopefully, is what we would say nowadays, will mm -hmm. die a Straw Death. You know, ripe yeah. old age, surrounded by family. And the thing about the straw death, it was so bad because a huge goal of a lot of these people in a warist situation was to make it to Valhalla. That's not the only afterlife. I think 
we've mm-hmm. talked about this before. You can go to Thinsalir and um, the land of the elves. And I mean, hell is not a place you'd want to go necessarily. It's it's not a good place. It's not horrible, but it's not it's good either. It's the medium either. place. It's the it's medium just, place. Yeah. And I mean, you could say he went somewhere bad when he died, and that's very likely. But we can't say the universe in this physical life punished him. Uh, maybe, you know, but you can be an oathbreaker and your life can turn out all right. Uh, you could argue, well, okay, I don't want to get too political, but it's almost accepted that politicians lie, isn't mm. it, in today's society? It's like, oh, it's a politician. When's a politician lying? When he's talking. Right. I mean, how many oaths like that are out there? And are they being punished in this physical life? I mean, not really. Normally, I mean, they're rich. Be, yeah, sure. Specifically because you are breaking reality. You're, yes. you're breaking autonomy. They're being horrible for for the world around them. And the thing is, I think they're being bad, hard on their souls, too, because our souls are the most obvious ones that exist within the world of ideas, within the linguistic realities we make around them. Um, the gods as well. And I really do think that the linguistic or the magical world around us is more real than the physical one. And we, our souls exist in that world of ideas that we've created. So if you start tearing that world down, if you start tearing the world of words down, you are actually tearing your soul down as well. So it almost makes sense that Raphnickel turned against the gods because he was destroying the thing that connects him to them, which is this world of ideas when he turns against O's, you know, he sees he sees the negative parts of them, which there are negative parts and there are dangers, and he seems to kind of turn or turn against that. And to an extent, does he turn does he turn against how he connects with other people? He is more concerned with being, you know, strong, being able to control people through force, which is extremely effective, and it worked really well. No one fought against Einer's dad after that because they're like, well, we're going to lose. And we don't want to be on the losing side, that there's a certain practical aspect to that. But if if you're fighting for someone because you want to be on the winning side, that's a very different relationship than fighting for someone because you respect them, are their friend, trust them, or anything like that. So I would argue that he, and I don't know, maybe... Maybe he was reborn and learned more a second time around. But I feel like the thing that he did here and turning away from the gods and turning away from O's, which are very wrapped up, was probably something bad for a soul. But, you know, if we want to pull lessons out of this, I don't think we have to pull lessons out of the saga because I think they're histories. But if we want to pull a lesson out of it, perhaps a valuable lesson would be the world is, in a lot of senses, a chaotic place. Bad people don't always get punished. You know, it's not a Hollywood movie. The bad guy doesn't always get caught. And to make it even more complicated, was Raphnickel even a bad guy? Mm-hmm. He swore an oath, and then he upheld it. Because so, I think most people would say that he wasn't, because he did his oath-bound duty. He did his oath-bound duty. But I think, 
as you said or alluded to, or maybe said before the show, why did he do kind of this like halfway oath? It's like, oh, I dedicate half of this horse to Frey. Just me and him can ride it. We would have to give that to Alexander, who sadly wasn't able to come today because he's the one that brought up that the the oath to Frey was a half oath. Yes, which I thought was very insightful. Um, Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Well, I mean, if you think about it, okay, so you're going to sacrifice something. You're going to sacrifice anything. Do you sacrifice only half of it? If if I have, if I say I'm going to sacrifice uh, a sword, do I break it in half and only give the blade, or do I give the whole thing? Right. It doesn't make sense to say, well, I'm I'm going to give you half of it. Is that good enough? You think that's okay? That's okay, right? We're, we'll just do that. No, you go wholehearted out of your way to to sacrifice the whole thing. You know, uh, I I don't know if I could talk about this or not, but I'm going to because I can. <laughs> okay. But you you've written poetry before. Yeah. And you sacrificed it. You don't remember it. You just wrote it down once, and you and you gave that. Yeah. You don't. You, we don't repeat it. We don't have a backup copy on my hard drive. Right. You don't have backup. You didn't tear it in half so you could have half the words still. That's right. not something you do. You give it the whole thing, and Craftnickel just gave half a horse. Not saying that it wasn't. The it there wasn't a sacrifice there, I suppose, but it wasn't really a whole sacrifice, or even you know what, it wasn't a sacrifice. What did he, he sacrifice? Kept it. He kept he the kept horse it. exactly, and it's all not... he said was, "I'm going to kill anybody who rides the horse because that's my horse." He could have done that without even sacrificing it. It was like he was looking for a loophole almost. Exactly. It's like I'm going to sacrifice this sword to Odin. You get it when I die. No, that's not enough. Or that's just not enough. That's not really a sacrifice. It's not. It's really not. And I, now, you know, now, could you consider that even a sacrifice? I mean, does it say he sacrificed or just say he gave an oath? I, I mean, was, is that the same thing or not? I was thinking it was supposed to be a sacrifice. <laughs> Man, now I don't know for sure. I know. I'm, I'm going through a couple of things here. Let's I try to try to find it. But really, it's you can't, you can't do this like half sacrifice. And um, I'll, this Lord's looking for that. There was a couple good um, NRR podcasts about sacrifice when it came to uh, the Gibo rune. You've got this gift for a gift principle where he goes into to some of the ideas of sacrifice, which I think is is worth listening to. And I believe we've already got to it in the Have Them All, where it talked about a gift for a gift. You know, if you give a good gift, if you give a gift, you are expecting something of equal value in return. So if you give this half-assed gift, you're not going to get something good back because, you know, you're trying to, like, loophole your way out of it and say, yeah, you can have this, but really it's going to be mine, but it's kind of yours, so you should give me something, but I'm not really going to give anything up and it's just that's not how that's not how it should be done that's not how the whole sacrificing works well the way it says here is he gave unto Frey half his horse right. I suppose that can be considered a sacrifice because he didn't really 
He said he did, but he didn't really give Bray half his horse because he's still using all of his horse. He didn't cut it in half and say this part's for Bray. He was using the whole thing. He's just like, I'm sharing with you. Because, I mean, we we do this with the mead at Bloat. Yeah. Except we actually give it. Yeah. So, you know, we have the bully, and and when we're done bloating, we we give that out. Yeah, and we... We don't say, this is for the gods, glug, glug, glug. We say, this is for the gods, and we pour it under a particular tree. We don't get it. We have now not... You know, it's like, oh, I was about to bring a pirate, internet piracy into this, and I won't. (laughs) But for it to be a sacrifice, there has to be something that was once yours and is now not yours. Otherwise, you're not giving anything. You can't say this meat is for the gods and then drink it. You know, and the idea of us drinking is we're sharing with the gods. Right. But some of the meat is actually dumped out. Meat that was perfectly good to drink is dumped out. It's like a whole bottle, basically, by the time we're done. Since we usually do about two. We usually do two bottles, and it's probably approximately one for us and one for the gods. Yeah. And I think that's the appropriate way to do it. You know, it's not a sacrifice if you're not losing anything. And and, and something important to you, something that you want. You know, you can't be like, I sacrifice my garbage to whoever. That's not a sacrifice either, because you I mean, don't want it. And the whole idea that we, we have this bloat for this is, is a really interesting one for us particularly, since we, we are taking this kind of view on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And there have been times when we... We uh, we talked about Einar and we honored him for his staying to duty. Right. And, you know, we also honor the fact that an oath was kept by Hrafnil. It, yeah. It's just a complicated, interesting bloat to have. Mm-hmm. And really, it's supposed to be a harvest bloat. <laughs> Right, and you know we've dis- we've discussed getting rid of the bloat entirely, remembering the story, but getting rid of the bloat entirely. And I mean that's something we still think of from time to time because who's the good guy, who's the bad guy? And you know this is not the lore. This is not the lore like most of our bloats are about. You know it's the gods doing something, and there is usually a moral truth in that. This is a saga, and it gives us a window into understanding our ancestors and understanding how they viewed the world. But it's not the same thing as the lore. It's closer to, I would think, a history. Well, and that's why I think it's actually important to keep. Simply yeah, because, because it, history is important. Exactly. And whereas the, the lore is very good for connecting us to the gods, it's... It's something about having connection to the more recent past, which would be the sagas. Yes. That, that, and it's very important to see that, because if, if we don't remember everything, the good, bad, mediocre, or we can't decide, then we don't really have a connection. Yeah, that's true. And it's 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 easy to do that super immediate. You know, you're like, my dad was a great guy. My mom was a great lady or she was okay and I can learn from her or she was somewhere in between you know something like that and it's easy to go way back to the beginning of our line with the gods and say they put us on this path uh, did they do the right thing etc but you're right that that more middle ground the 
the Freyfaxi bloat, the story of Raphnickel and Einar. Um, you know, they're not personally connected to us. I feel like your family, you are forced to know your family. You're forced to be familiar with them. Mm -hmm. But you're not forced to be familiar with Freyfaxi. And, you know, this is one, uh, Hugenhoff podcast at gmail.com or any of the emails on the Hugenhoff website. Write in about this. Now is the time I really want feedback more than ever. Did Raphnickel do the right thing? Did Einer do the right thing? Raphnickel, okay, best case scenario, Raphnickel probably shouldn't have sworn half his horse to Frey in the first place. He should have sworn the whole thing. And I think just through the, you know, events that happened, he got all his land taken and he was a slave for six years. That's obviously bad. And if you swear ridiculous oaths, you're probably going to have bad stuff happen. Then again, as the world is a chaotic place and more than it is a just place, he got everything back. So... So then we look at Einar. Did he do the right thing? I mean, yeah, he was supposed to hurt those sheep, but should he have said, hey, Freyfaxi, I'm not allowed to write that. I know this guy has sworn an oath on it. I'm staying away. That's mm -hmm. probably what he should have done. And then his father trying to avenge him, and of course, the luck of the family, the luck of the son runs into the father. Should the father have tried to avenge him at all would also be a question. It's like, well, he did know what he was getting into, well, I mean, the fact that Harafnickel refuses to pay anyone Beargold, because that's basically what he wanted. Yeah, and and there's another aspect. Why didn't Harafnickel, who was upset about this, actually, and raised a gravestone to Einar, why didn't he just say, okay, I'm going to pay Weirgold? It well, was his I mean, policy not to pay, but was just it a policy or Was it a policy or an oath? Because he, it well, looks like... question. It almost looks like an oath, because... Like he wanted to, almost it kind of it kind of looks yeah. like as you read the story, but he just can't for whatever reason. If it was just his policy, that would be still a jerk move. Yeah, but maybe a little bit understandable. But if it's an oath, then he couldn't have. Ah, uh, you're right, and it could have been. He has a history of making bad oaths, and the whole thing could have been avoided. But I mean, I could see the moral point. Someone would say, "Well, it was." Einar should have been killed because he knew that he was breaking an oath. And right. they, you could even moralize the story and be like, and see, Raphnickel wins in the end. He gets his land back because the universe is just. It's not how I take the story, but you could take it that way. Oh, I mean, you can't even take it that way, though. Because then why is he punished for six years? Well, not only is he punished for six years, but he turns away from Frey. He turns away from the gods, and from what I've read, he turned into an atheist. Yeah, he pretty much does. I mean, it's a hard one to say who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. It's not clear-cut. There's not a good guy and there's not a bad guy. Who did the right thing, who did the wrong... I kind of think everybody did the wrong thing. Einar shouldn't have rode the yeah. horse. It was a big mess of it mistakes. Einar shouldn't have rode the horse. Raphnickel shouldn't have sworn those O's. And, you know, am I reading into it too much when I say that, you know, all this bad stuff happened so... Raphnickel sees that in his mind, I think, O's become fickle and a punishment put on us by the gods. So as he turns away from the gods, he's also um, condemning the oath. He's like the oath, which is in his mind held up by the gods instead of the other way around. He's like a god, the gods who would 
require us to keep O's must be bad, so I'm going to turn away from them. Is that me reading into things? Was that part of it? I kind of think it was part of it, but that part's um, debatable, too. I mean, that is a rational viewpoint from his perspective based upon what we read here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's there's more to it, because he seems to have been able to still gather people to him. And if he was un- if he was unable to have a trustworthy word, no one would have still came to him. So I don't think he just fully went away from it. I just think he just no longer well, felt now, that the gods had anything to do with it. And I still think he probably kept his oaths. Well, and he did keep his oath by killing Einar in the first place. But what I'm wondering is maybe he did keep up doing the oaths because he realized they were necessary. But I wonder if he thought they were a necessary evil. Like a lot of people are like, oh, the government mm. is a necessary evil. O's are necessary evils too, and not these good, glorious things that you know a lot of the lore seems to say. Like O's are are good things that should be here. Um, did he see the world after this as a chaotic place where good people, That's bad great. things happen to good people? Because it's hard to tell. We can't. We can't tell just by the saga, though. We can't. But I'm trying to think of. In modern times, and I know this was a different culture back here, so it's harder to do, but in modern times, I feel like when you see someone turn away from their religion, oftentimes it's because they think the world is a cruel place. The argument, in essence, goes, if deities were real, the world would not be an evil place. The world is evil, so there must not be any deities. And certainly he could have fallen into that trap as well. That's um, flawed if you, unless you think the well. That's flawed unless you think the gods are all powerful, or that they care about everything that you do. That is a Christian viewpoint. But remember, this story was written in the beginning of Christian times. That influence was already well on its way. I suppose. So it's something to keep to keep in mind, at least. And I think it's um, also important to note that. It seemed like Frey was the only god that he was really into worshipping. There, there's a lot of monotheistic tendencies that Einar has, or uh, he, was, he was, has. He was supposed to be like the priest, the Godi of Frey. Right. So that was his one god. Yeah. That's and funny. I guess you could see if you're the, if you're the Godi of this one god, you feel like he should watch after you, look after you, and take care of you. There's even a lesson that I do think we should take from this, or if not from this, we should take in general. It's not like if you follow a particular god or the gods in general, bad things never happen to you again. Mm -hmm. It's the wrong relationship to have with the gods. I view them a lot more as, you know, guiding forces. You know, they can give you advice. They're not going to make everything fine. They're not going to bail you out if you make mistakes. You're going to have to learn from those mistakes on your own. And and they're not super all-powerful. They can do anything. And they decide to give you rewards or punishment on their whim. The world's there, too. And if it's a world of ideas or a real place, it doesn't matter. There's a world there, and there are consequences for the things that you decide to do. 
So I don't know. I don't know who's right in this. I don't know who's wrong in this. I don't know if there is a moral to this story or it's just a recounting of I a piece of history. I think it's more of a recounting. Uh, morals are for parables, and this is a story. Yeah. This is a story without anything because it is a history. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely leaning that way myself, too. And I think it, maybe it's wrong that we do this. Sometimes I think sometimes we have to say, hey, this is a story, and not try to moralize it too much. Don't try to make—I I know we don't have much lore, but don't try to turn sagas into lore. Because it's it's not necessarily going to work. And I think we do it with every story, though. If we hear a story, and I'm talking a news story, we try to moralize it. We say, oh, well, this is the bad guy getting his comeuppance. Or that that victim, and you know, oftentimes, is that that victim really deserved it because they're a bad person or whatever. And sometimes we can't do that. We can look in retrospect and say, okay, well, if I was in this situation, how would have I reacted? What would have I done? And I would like to think that if I was Shrapnickel, I wouldn't make a halfway oath. And if I was Einer, I wouldn't ride the horse. Of course, if you're actually in the situation, things are different, obviously. Um, but yeah, I don't think there are clear answers. And maybe maybe that's why we should read this story, because there I, aren't clear answers. I think that's kind of the moral, if there is a moral we can take from it. And I have read elsewhere, and I may have even mentioned on this podcast before, no person thinks they're the bad guy. Exactly. They think they're doing the right thing, whether or not it is. It may only be the right thing for themselves, but they still think it's the right thing. So as long as you can figure out what it is about that person that makes them think they're doing the right thing, is you might be able to have a dialogue. Yeah, that's true. And you're right. Everybody always thinks they're doing the right thing. So we as individuals, we have to say, I think I'm doing the right thing. Just like that crazy guy who blew up whatever building. I think I'm doing the right thing just like the murderer thought he was doing the right thing. How do I know I'm doing the right thing? And, you know, it's something it feels right to me isn't enough. That's that's not an answer. Uh, you know, is your philosophy on whatever you do actually consistent? And I, I still think it comes back to this constantly uh, more in other places where we talk than here uh, so I'll bring it up here is is the idea of autonomy mm -hmm. you know everybody has the right to make their own decisions in the world are you stopping other people from making their own decisions in the world you have to answer that and, and I think the oath is one of the integral parts of that that you say I am going to do this I oath to do it it's as good at it is definite that you're going to do that because then you have said to this other person you've given them an honest interpretation of what the world will be like and they can make an educated decision right i mean cuz here i was i was absolutely ready to make another oath uh, this last bloat but i realized i couldn't do it because it was relying on somebody else even though yeah. I will be doing the greatest part of work, at least I like to think so, mm -hmm. there's still this other step that I need to wait on. Right. And if you you can't put your life, almost your soul, 
I think there's a soul. You don't have to agree with that. <laughs> but um, your existence in many ways in somebody else's hands, you can't do that. You can't do that to them, and you can't do that to yourself either Well, one. I mean, you can if you, you ask them first. But if you, you don't ask them first and they don't agree to it, then you can't. Or at the very least, you really, really shouldn't. Right. And even if you ask them... No, I no, don't know. I mean, it's fine because what you've already stated is romantic yeah. love yeah, and is. marriage is. vows is something that you can do because you've asked and you both agreed on it. So and if that's could... the case, then any other situation that is similar, you should still be able to do that. Yes, you can. I agree. You can morally. What what I would keep in mind is remember the wedding vows, how important that other person is to you and how important you are to them. They are willing to take on a great responsibility for you. Keep in mind, if it's the person who's going to drop off your FedEx package, <laughs> you know, it's your buddy who you've known a week, and you're like, I'm putting this burden, because it is a burden, I'm putting this burden on you to do this thing so that I can fulfill this oath. That's a burden, and, and that's a lot. You're asking a lot of them if you are saying, I need you to do something so I can fulfill an oath. And keep in mind, that's a burden. If you're deeply in love and you're going to be together forever, that's okay. If you're super close friends, that might be okay too. It's but still a burden. It's a burden, and keep in mind that it is a burden. And well, you know, we, we've oath to each other because we're in the kindred. Not only did we owe to the gods to be also true, mm -hmm. we owe to each other and to the uh, other people involved that we would be in the kindred and we yeah. would do this. And again, that's a huge burden because, you know, on one hand, if if I just wander away, you wouldn't necessarily be oath broken because you're like, well, I'm still in the kindred. I show up and do bloats or whatever. But... If I decide to turn into a crazy person, <laughs> you know, and start drowning puppies, you're still, as long as, you know, and I don't join, quit the kindred, you're, you're still oath-bound to me in a way. You still have to, you know, go to bloats and be like, I don't like that puppy drowning thing, but <laughs> kind of don't have a choice here. And I mean, do you want to be associated with me if I become that kind of person? No, you don't. So it is a risk that everybody is taking. We are saying, yeah, we're going to stick by you. We're going to be associated with you, even if you go crazy. I sure am glad we knew each other several years before we did this. Well, yeah, and um, I think this came up on the interview I had with Dan that O's are not to be taken lightly, and both of us have a rule that you have to be in the kindred at least two years before you can take a both. And, and honestly... Well, it's not even at least two years. It's it's. I guess it is at least two years, or have done all the bloats twice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it, because if I you think... don't, then you don't know exactly what we're doing. If you miss one, you may not, you may not want to be a part of it, because you don't know if that yeah, bloat exactly. is a fit. I think it's two years and 24 blows. Yes. Um, but another thing that I think is very important, there's another requirement that you are unanimously voted in. So if Lore here doesn't like your face, he can stop you from ever being a kin member. Does that give Lore a lot of power? Yeah. But we all have that amount of power, and it's necessary because you are binding yourself to another person. 
Now, we've been talking a lot of doom and gloom about this, <laughs> but I think it's a very powerful relationship you have with uh, a, a wife or husband that you marry, and also with my uh the people in the kindred, I feel a very close connection to Lore because we're kin, because we've taken a certain risk and put a huge amount of trust in the other person. I think you get a deeper connection to that individual. And, you know, sometimes that person's like, oh, I don't really like what you're doing or you're boring. I'm, I'm not saying I actually think these <laughs> things about you. I'm just giving an example. If I said, oh, you're boring and then if if I didn't have the oath, I might be like, I'm done with you. I'm not hanging out anymore because you're boring. And But if you have the oath, you're like, oh, well, he's boring, but uh, I'm going to stick through it. And maybe I'm like, oh, you know, that thing I thought was really boring, the quantum mechanics you've been studying? It's actually <laughs> really neat. And now I've expanded my horizons because I was like, you're boring, but I guess I have to listen to you because, you know, I said we're kind of um, – linked together with this oath now i like quantum mechanics too so i mean there's advantages like that and there's simply a deep connection between people who are oath and that makes the world a better place that makes you as a person a better person because you are tying yourself to other people with stronger bonds but yeah again do not be leaping up and oathing to everybody you see because that's not going to exactly. mean the same thing to them Again, another reason why it's so long to join yes. the kindred. And here's my personal advice. If you go to a kindred and they ask you to take the kindred, the kin oath on the third time you've shown up, leave. Mm, no, I wouldn't say leave. Yeah, they may let people in a little bit too quickly, but you don't know how long that's going to last. You could still continue to go and see what it is. But yeah, there is the risk that they'll let somebody in that you won't like. I mean, it's it's not that these people are bad. It's just no. that they want to, you know, make people feel welcome. And but that's not the appropriate way to do it. Right. You're you're just letting people in willy nilly, and there may be bad people. Yeah. Maybe maybe I should soften it a little bit. If third time they asked you want to take the Ken oath, no. Just be like, I want to keep coming. I want to explore this, but I don't think I'm ready to do that yet. And when you've been there two years, and they're like, oh, aren't you going to take the kin oath? You know, maybe take a moment to say, can we review the laws? I don't feel mm -hmm. comfortable in a kindred where you can take that type of oath in three months. Mm -hmm. Or I don't feel comfortable in a kindred where you don't need unanimous decision. Or maybe you do feel we're comfortable where you don't need unanimous decision. You need just the go, the saying, okay. And that's fine, but there should be a waiting period is what I'm saying. Because remember, you're putting a lot of trust and these people that you're owing to. I mean, we have a long time. I don't know if we can call him a member or not. He's really not. He just shows up. Technically, yeah. But he's been with us uh, a very long time, almost as long as I've been going. Yeah. And he was able to do it more consistently than I was for a few years. Yeah. But and he's, he's, he's still not going to oath to the kindred. I don't think he ever will, but he's still very welcome to come. And he's, yeah. he's very insightful. Yeah, and we don't sit around being like, hey, when are you going to take an oath, loser? <laughs> we we don't – okay, there's certain things that by the laws and the nature of the difference between an oath and non-oath member he can't take part in, which is seriously voting on the laws. 
non-oath members don't have a vote. They, you know, he can still say, I don't like that law. He can still put his point of view out there, and we appreciate it when he does. Mm-hmm. But he can't say he can't vote on the laws. And also, if we were going to oath in a third person that he doesn't like, he couldn't veto that. So, I mean, there's some advantages you have to being oathed. Also, we we could now ostracize him if we wished. If he would, if he joined an oath to us, though, I'm not sure if we could do that unless no, he broke an oath. Mm-mm, we couldn't. Right now, if if we just don't like him, we're like, oh, your new haircut looks stupid. Okay, we would not do it out of trivialities. No. Uh, morally, we could, but it would. Yeah, I don't know if that'd be okay or not. I wouldn't like it for sure uh if he did something we didn't agree with we could be like hey look we're not comfortable with you we're cutting ties and morally that's fine but yeah if he was oath we couldn't we couldn't do that uh, but the thing is like lore said you know and if if you're in a kindred you know if you're a go they make people feel welcome don't force them into o's you know don't push them into that but you can make someone feel welcome because this individual does i'm confident feel welcome mm-hmm. and He's actually a really good friend of mine. He just hasn't taken the oath because, you know, he's not ready. Maybe he'll never be ready, and that's fine, too. He can still feel welcome without, you know, taking the the oath. And there's no dishonor in not taking an oath. There is dishonor in taking an oath and breaking it for the reasons we've put forth of destroying the linguistic structure of the universe. Also, I would say... While we do review the laws thing, mm-hmm. we should also review the laws if anyone new shows up. We don't want them to come in and think that it's one thing and it's not. Because if we were just true, and I know that's not necessarily the setting that we want to do and only bring people in for thing, mm-hmm. but if we don't set down the baseline where we're at, then they won't know us. And then if they decide to join later, well, they would probably know the laws by then because they would have had to go to the thing. They would have had, and you can only be sworn in at thing and you will. So they would have necessarily heard the laws at least once. Right. But I think that's actually a good point. If someone comes on their first time or maybe their second time, we'd really want to go over the laws. Or maybe break it up, statement of purpose on the first time, laws Mm -hmm. the second time. And they are available online in some random podcast show notes um <laughs> so they could certainly find him if they wanted to uh, uh but yeah you're right you know and 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 that is part of what an oath is is not being deceptive everybody wants new members and their kindred i do as much as anybody else but that doesn't mean you just let everybody in and that definitely doesn't mean you lie about it. it's like oh yeah we do bloat but we called god odin i'll get mm. members this way that's not how that's not how it works you have to be honest and you have to make it clear this is what you're agreeing to and not that okay i think we're actually just about at time so i guess i'm going to wrap it up um, Lord, do you have any final thoughts? Sagas are fun and interesting, and the fact that we have one as a bloat brings up these kinds of discussions. And since we're Hugenhoff, the thought home, uh, that's exactly what we do. It, it, it causes these kinds of uh, conversations, and that's what I like about going to bloat, because not only do we talk about this kind of stuff uh, for Freyfaxi only, we do it for every single bloat. And... That's enjoyable, and if you like that sort of thing, 
talk about it. Discuss it. Think about it. It's fun. Yeah. Um, I guess as my final thought, <clears throat> don't confuse sagas, sagas and lore. Um, and really everybody out there, just read the Hrafnickel saga because there's a lot of mistakes made in it by all parties. And there's not this clear-cut moral, this is right, this is wrong, because morals are a good thing to have, and you have to have them. You have to have a way to say, this is my where my moral truth comes from, not breaking autonomy or whatever. But you also have to remember, in the real world, it's not that simple. There's not a good guy and a bad guy. There's not the person who did everything right and the person who did everything wrong. The waters get muddy. And I think this saga is a good example of that. Now on the O's, I just want to stress again, O's are important. You can't break an oath. Once you take an oath, you are bound by that. So really, be careful. Because, you know, Raphnickel could have avoided this whole thing if he was a little more careful about the oaths that he took. And that's my final thought. Just take O's seriously. Mm-hmm. Okay, and again, I'd like to say if anybody wants to write it in, please feel free to do that. It is Podcast at gmail.com. And if you write in about this and I get it before we do the next podcast, um, I, I'm going to discuss those answers before we start the main part of the podcast. Maybe give a little of my rebuttal to whatever anybody says or, or my thoughts on whatever anybody says. And again, that's huganhoffpodcast at gmail.com or any of the websites on the homepage, which can be found at huganhoff.org on the bottom of the page, I believe it is, or just go to the podcast page. So with all of that said, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. I hope this gets you to kind of think about maybe where your morals come in and uh, give us some feedback if you want. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But really, read this story and think about it. Why are O's important to you? So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Rahel. Rahel. <laughs>